Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where we uncover the future of design, building, and remodeling. I'm Todd Miller of Isaiah Industries, manufacturer specialty metal roofing and other building materials. Today, my co-host is Ethan Young. Ethan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, Todd. How about you? I am doing well also. I always ask that question. It's kind of a humdrum question. I should ask something else. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll come up with a different thing for next time. Yeah, so yeah. Okay. I do have a couple questions for you. Um, I, so, so, you know, okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and spill the, spill the beans. Um, we sometimes open with some dad jokes. And uh, so I've got a couple of dad jokes. And actually, these are quizzes because I know that Ethan's heard these before. We'll, so we'll see how good his recollection is as to okay. whether he knows the punchline or not. Okay, dad joke number one. What do you call cheese that isn't yours? Cheese that isn't yours. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I gotcha. I'm, I'm impressed. Nacho cheese. Oh, that's nacho that's cheese. Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Next one. Now, I knew you when you were in first, second grade. I am certain that this joke came up at some time at Cub Scouts or something. Mm-hmm. How do you make a tissue dance? I don't know. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> you got me. Oh, my gosh. You are breaking my heart here, man. You put a little boogie in it. Oh, okay. I have heard that one. Yeah, I've definitely heard that one somewhere. Okay, let's move forward. Man, that was a dismal failure on my part. I apologize. So anyway, let our audience know, um, once again, in this episode of Construction Disruption, we are doing challenge words. Uh, what that means is each of us and also our guest um, have been given a word by one of the others that we are challenged to work into the conversation at some point as seamlessly as possible. Um, you, the audience, can be listening for perhaps unusual words or non sequitur non-sequitur words that we say and um, wonder if that's the challenge word and at the end of the show. So stay tuned. We will reveal our success or lack thereof with using our challenge word. So you good with moving ahead, Ethan? Yeah, I'm good. Let's get to it. Great. So I'm excited about today's show. Um, having spent my entire career, which is <clears throat> more years than I like to say at this point, one thing I've learned, um, you know, and I've spent my entire career in sales. One thing I've learned is that the business of selling is very dynamic. Um, as part of developing a successful sales system for any business, you, you really, in my thoughts, you really never hit a point where you just sort of lock in and things never need any attention ever again. Um, but on the other hand, you know, making quick or haphazard changes for no particular reason in particular uh, to a sales system can also sink the ship, sometimes literally. Um, so today, our guest is a longtime expert, trainer, and consultant in sales. Um, he has worked both in B2B, business-to-business, and B2C, business-to-consumer. Um, in particular, he has worked uh, in both those in the construction industry. Um, our guest today is Mr. Brian McCauley. Brian is founder of The Sales Guy. Um, heck, um, as you're going to find out, he is The Sales Guy. Um, he is also a featured columnist in Pro Sales and Remodeling Magazines. 
Um, Brian's advice is sought after and respected by the entire industry. Um, he has trained and inspired thousands of salespeople across the country. Um, in addition to doing that training, Brian has had sales and leadership roles, um, both at wholesalers, distributors, manufacturers, and, and also contractors in our industry. Um, Brian knows the construction industry inside and out at all levels. So I encourage you, strap in, grab a pen to take some notes, and listen closely um, to this great oracle and sage of sales wisdom, Brian McCauley. Brian, welcome to Construction Disruption. What a pleasure to have you on the show today. Hey, Todd, thanks for having me. I always get a little nervous when I hear these uh, elaborate introductions about somebody's <laughs> skill set. Always gets me a little nervous, even from the jump. <laughs> it's well-deserved. I, I have been looking forward to this show because uh, been spending a lot of time kind of learning about you and watching some of the things you have, the content you have online already, and it's all great stuff. So um, let's kind of start back a few years ago. I'm, I'm kind of curious, tell us what your start was in the construction industry. And, you know, as you got started in this industry, what were some of the things that, you know, made you kind of think, wow, this is an industry that um, I love and, and would want to make a career in. Yeah, I got started soon out of college. It was in the early 90s. Uh, I'm older than that, though. It took me, I believe, eight years, nine years to get a four-year degree. I wasn't quite locked in in college, you know, so I had some fits and starts to get through. But my mom was uh, dating a gentleman at the time that sold building materials. He actually had retired from Ford, had a pension, didn't really need the job, but he just liked to go out and meet and talk to people. They were opening a new distribution center in Louisville, and so uh, I went ahead and started there, started inside, uh, learning products, learning processes, people, that sort of thing, the business. And then after a couple of years, about a year, went out into sales, and uh, that was really the start. And I've stayed in building materials distribution up to about seven, eight years ago. Now I'm in the manufacturing uh, realm as well as kind of you know running my little uh, my company, the sales guy. But I guess what really got me, kept me, hooked me in this business. Number one, the autonomy of sales. Uh, there's really nobody standing over your shoulder every single minute of the day, making sure you're doing what you're doing, you're supposed to be doing. You know, you plan your own day, you plan your own week. And if your numbers are there and the margin's there and everybody's happy, it, it's a good thing. And there's just really, really good people in this business. I mean, all up and down the supply chain. Just really good, honest, hardworking, decent people. And uh, and you can make a pretty good living at it, too. So if you'd have told me 30 years ago when I first got started, I'd still be in this business. I probably would tell you, I don't think that's going to happen. But it's just kind of something you get into. And you know, stuck's the wrong word, man. You just get into it. It becomes part of who you are. It's just, it's just a great business. You know, that's great. And, and, you know, that is a cool thought on sales. You kind of got control of your own destiny, but, uh, you're right. Um, great industry that, uh, I know we love as well also. So, um, tell us a little bit. I mean, I know that you've got the consulting side with the sales guy. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing also right now on more the manufacturing side and, and, you know, even a little bit about the types of companies that you consult and, and train and work with. Well, right now I am a director of sales training for Cornerstone Building Brands. Uh, we have a industrial I mean, a commercial and a residential side. I work with our apertures group, which is the windows. So it's the Symington brand, Atrium brand, Ply Gym and Silverline. And I'm director of sales training uh, there. 
So what that entails is, man, I don't have anybody reports to me. I have before. It's not all it's cracked up to be. I have no program responsibility, no product responsibility. I just fly all over the country and talk to either distribution salespeople or in-home salespeople about how do we get more effective at communicating our message and, and, and trying to sell more effectively. I'm kind of curious. You know, one of the things I think our industry is known for is having some great mentors and people to learn from out there. Any particular mentors that you've had over the years that you've learned from? And, and I'm curious, too, who do you pay attention to today, um, either inside or outside of the industry to, uh, you know, kind of keep stretching yourself and uh, iron sharpens iron type thing? Yeah, I would say early on, probably maybe 15 years ago, I crossed paths with a guy named uh, Waldo Waldman, the wingman. And we hired him to speak at a national meeting when I was with uh, Narandex. And um, I spoke at that meeting as well. And he was uh, gracious enough with his time to view some video I had. I asked him to check out some video and see what he thought, give me some pointers. He was gracious enough to do so. And then he and I have stayed connected and stayed in touch ever since. And occasionally ask him for information. He'll ask me for information. So it's become, I wouldn't even, you know, it's become a, a kind of a mentor situation, but he's just a really good guy. He's very sharp, uh, really knows his stuff. And then somebody in our industry that I follow and like to follow is Bradley Hartman, just because he's been in our business. You know, he's been on the builder side and I think he has some really good ideas about how to craft a value message and, and look a little differently at what you do and, and how to communicate it more effectively. And I guess as far as being able to maybe to continue to dig and continue to get better, uh, writing columns really helps me. Uh, mm. When I first started writing Pro Sales and Remodeling Magazine, really, all, I'm not a great writer. I'll be honest with you. I struggle sometimes getting 600 words out of this head on the paper. And all I would take was training content and, and build me a little 600-word column around it, which was all great for about 12 or 18 months until I ran out of that content. <laughs> then I had to start really digging into my, my thinking, challenging my thinking, looking for different areas. And that's really helped me because it, it forces you to look at what you do uh, kind of under a microscope. And can you build a better message? Can you tweak something a little bit differently? And it's actually helped me create a lot more content that I'm able to deliver in front of our customers and then some of my customers today. That makes a lot of sense. I like that. So imagine this. So you're in front of a sales team for the first time. Um, could be B2B or B2C, your choice. Maybe it doesn't make any difference. Um, kind of curious, as you try to get the attention of that sales team and get them to to start thinking a little differently, what do you lead with? What, what do you lead with to get their attention and kind of draw them in and, and get them to start uh, paying a little attention to what you have to say? Yeah, there is a there is a different opening in business to business and, and, and B2C, but I'll, I'll go business to business. Anytime I get in front of a group of distribution salespeople, uh, my first question always is, why do your customers buy from you? And I hear things like trust, relationships, have to have good products, have to have good service, have to do it all for a fair price, uh, and a myriad of other things. So I let them go, give me four, five, six, seven examples and and then I asked them, I said, look, man, this is all I do. I fly all over the country, east to west, north to south. I'm in front of folks just like y'all and, and, your, and your competition, to be honest with you. When I ask that question, do you think I ever hear anything different than the five, six, or seven things that you all said? And always are saying, no, you probably hear the same thing everywhere you go. I said, well, think about that for a second. 
Because if that's how you're communicating what you do in your marketplace, then all the builders and contractors are hearing you and everybody else say the same thing. Wah, 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 wah. It just kind of becomes some white noise that we're really not able to cut through. So what I want to do over the next you know couple of hours is let's dig into that a little bit, see how we can more effectively communicate our message. And it tends to be a pretty good attention grabber. Man, I love that. No, that is a great response and get people to realize that, yeah, you, you got to set yourself apart from everyone else. So, you know, I, I know that a lot of your career jobs have been in B2B. I mean, working for manufacturers, wholesalers, so forth. Um, but a lot of times you're in front of B2C sales teams, training them. Um, any key differences you see between B2B and B2C selling? Yeah, I spend probably 70, for, 70% of my time in front of in-home salespeople and the other 30% is in front of a business to business. But there are some similarities, I believe, in the two. You know, you, In both realms, you have to communicate effectively and you really got to be able to answer the golden question. Anytime a, anytime a salesperson's in front of a buyer, that buyer is asking themselves, why based off all the options available to me, should I buy from you? And if we can't answer that question in a real meaningful, impactful way, we are driving them to a price decision that we don't want it to get to anyway. So you have to be able to answer that question on both sides. In business to business, I believe the number one skill you have to have to be effective, truly effective, and long-term effective is your ability to manage your time and your territory. And I've seen so many salespeople suffer needlessly because they can't get their hands around how to manage their time and their territory better. And, and quite frankly, in our industry, not a lot of companies give salespeople good tools to go out and do that, but kind of left up to our own devices. So I, that's, that's, a, that's a big hot button for me, and I get pretty passionate about it because I, I struggled with that when I first got started in my first year and a half in and uh, to the point where I almost didn't stay in sales. And I don't had no idea where I'd have been if I didn't figure it out. But I got challenged with something. I ended up figuring it out and, and was able to, to, to kind of power through it. So that was very helpful. In business to consumer, I believe the number one thing that you got to get on the table in those sales interactions is emotion. There has to mm -hmm. be some emotional component to get somebody to want to move and, and change their house, add windows, uh, put a new door in, you know, what have you. And I think it was Socrates said, persuasion can't happen in the absence of emotion. And we're not never going to be able to persuade somebody if there's not a little emotional component there. Because there's a big difference between needs and wants, in my opinion. And uh, especially business to consumer, somebody might need a door. They might need a window. They might need a roof, but what they want to purchase is all driving on their on their wants, and the wants is where the emotions at. So, um, the story I tell is: I don't need the car I drive; I want the car I drive. Uh, I don't need a seventy-five inch TV. A fifty-five inch TV works fine just in ninety-nine percent of the houses in the United States of America. But we want seventy-five, eighty-five projection screen TVs, and so. The once where the emotions at, and if you're in the home speaking to a homeowner, you really got to be able to tap into those emotions. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. I wanted to chime in to and ask you a question that is pretty relevant to uh, our business. But what do you think about prepared prepared presentations for sales for both B two B and B two C? Because we have one that we use. It's kind of a software based one called Engage, but 
do you think a prepared presentation is a really helpful tool or you think it's not quite always the right way to go? What are your thoughts on it? Well, there's a word you hear often in this industry. It's called scripted. And I think there's a difference between prepared and scripted. Mm -hmm. I'm not a scripted guy. I mean, uh, I don't, don't, don't give me a, a list of a hundred words that I got to use in order to tell my story. Uh, but I, th I do think some guidance on how we want to tell our story and preparation is critical. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't wing a sales call. I wouldn't suggest anybody wings a sales call. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for preparation and planning. Uh, I just, uh, as long as there's a difference between prepared and, and scripted. Cause I've, I've talked to, uh, quite a few fairly large in-home sales organizations that may buy a scripted program from one of the myriad of, uh, of consultants out there that sell them. And what they tell me is that, you know, I buy it for X amount of dollars a month and, and it ain't cheap. And then I turn around, I had to change all the words in it, you know, because they're using words that our guys won't, won't use. And I'm thinking, well, if you're buying it, why do you got to change all the words? So I'm, I'm less scripted and more prepared, you know, Gotcha. I don't know if yeah. this makes any sense, Ethan, but I was always taught in sales that customers make five decisions when they decide who, what, when, where to buy. They decide mm -hmm. on the salesperson, the company they represent, the products they're selling, the price of those products, and then whether or not it's time for them to buy or not. And I believe if we follow our, pre our presentation to how they're making that decision, uh, our odds of success are going to go up. Yeah, I like that for sure. That, that is a great distinction. I, I love that the way you drew that out. Um, very interesting. So um, kind of thinking a little bit about, you know, how you recruit and put together a, a sales team, um, you know, kind of like picking players on a football team or something. But what do you look for um, in terms of, per, of a prospective salesperson? Any particular personality profile, any skills, passions, experiences um, that you're really looking for when you're out there recruiting and, and choosing uh, sales team members? Yeah. Well, as you know, if you've been, if you, if you've done it enough, it's a certain amount of, it's a crapshoot. I mean, you can look <laughs> for certain, you can look for certain attributes, certain personal personality skills, but sometimes man, there's just not fit. Uh, it, 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 it's really tough. Uh, I look for curiosity. Uh, how curious a person is uh, about uh, the role, about the company, the culture, how they see themselves fitting into it. Because if you're interviewing sales folks, man, they're going to spend a lot of time telling you how good they are, how much they sold last year, what was the margin, how much they've grown the territory. Uh, and they're going to spin it and manufacture it the way they're going to look the best. And, and they, they well should. But I'm looking for curiosity. I'm looking for sincerity. Uh, you almost got to have sort of a servant's heart. I think you really got to want to help people in this business in order to be, in order to be effective. And there is a tip or a tactic that I've talked about before, especially from a, a, a manager's perspective when they're hiring. If you get down to your final one or two candidates, I say two or three candidates, and, and those are who you're, you're mulling over. I would invite both of them separately out to lunch with you and somebody else on your staff that they will probably be working level with or a little bit above. And just watch how they interact. Watch how they interact with the other person. Watch how they interact with you. Watch how they interact with the wait staff. Are they talking to this person about the job, the role, the company, their role in it, how I can help make your life easier? 
or they just continue to buffalo through about how great they are and how much they sell. You get them on that, and they, they're not really thinking that you're you're looking at them in that way, but it could give you some keen insights into them and how they may conduct themselves if they come on board. You know, I love that, those uh, curiosity, sincerity, servant's heart. Um, I love the lunch thing, too, and have done that a number of times. But it was kind of interesting. I was talking yesterday with a couple of our folks from operations, and, you know, they interview folks for positions in manufacturing. And, you know, one of the comments they made to me was, you know, it seems like lately we've been interviewing people who are professional interviewees. Um <laughs> <laughs> they really know how to interview well, but then the, the rubber doesn't really ever hit the road. And and so you got some great advice there on kind of ways to, to sort through that. That's good stuff. So, you know, here we are, 2023, the end of it. Man, the years fly by, but, you know, we're kind of in this hopefully post-COVID world. Um, curious, during that whole COVID phase in the last couple of years, uh, have you seen anything change in sales and, and, you know, obviously then, you know, what things have stayed the same and likely will never change? Yeah, I think number one is, I mean, I remember, well, heck, everybody's in the same boat, you know, uh, COVID. I shut down like March 14th of 2020. I think that was my last trip. I came back home and everybody's thinking, you know, get your head down for two weeks, take a little vacation. This thing will all be over with. And it turned into two months, six months, eight months, a year. And we really didn't know what to do. But what you started hearing really early in that is the face-to-face -face sales call is dead. Everything's going to be virtual. Buyers don't want to see people face-to-face. -face. Sales will never go back to the way it was before. And that couldn't have been any further from the truth. As soon as things leveled off and you could safely begin to get back out there again, everybody wanted to get back out there again. I remember one of the first things that we did coming out of the COVID was a big show for a buying group. And usually you're working these shows, you're standing at your booth and everybody's just twiddling their thumbs. Can't wait for the day to be over with. But it was actually fun. You're grabbing people and they want to be grabbed. You're engaging. It was really kind of cool. Mm -hmm. One of the things I found, though, during COVID, I wouldn't say it spoiled us because it didn't. It was a, it was it was a really tough, a really tough couple of years is that salespeople didn't really have to go sell anymore. Whoever had the product was making the sale. And mm -hmm. salespeople were just trying to keep their head above water. There was more requests coming in than you could feel. And that's changed. You know, we really need to get back out and do some more prospecting, some more picking up new business and some more selling. And we haven't been used to that for, you know, 18, 24 months. And that's a tough part of the business. And it's tough to be out there prospecting, looking for new business. And I think it's going to be a tougher pivot for salespeople to make that transition. I think that's one of the negatives that have come out of COVID. Man, I tell you, you're just uh, a fountain of, fountain of wisdom there. Um, great observations on uh, things that have happened. And, you know, you're right. I mean, yeah, much many people didn't have to sell there for a while, but now things are kind of going back to more of a normal situation. We got to relearn some stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, salespeople sometimes get a bad rap and, and you just mentioned salesperson in it conjures up images of, okay, I'm dating myself, but Herb Tarlick from the WKRP in Cincinnati show. Um, but, you know, what steps do you think a professional salesperson can take to really immediately differentiate themselves from any of those negative stereotypes out there and, you know, immediately show the prospect that I'm not going to be the same experience that you might be expecting? 
Well, unlike Ethan, I'm old enough to remember WKRP in Cincinnati <laughs> and and Herb Tarlick, so I know exactly who you're talking about. And that's the kind of salesperson that's just trying to sell something. I just want to sell something, put something in somebody's hands and get paid for it. And sales can seem to be a complex career. I mean, there's a myriad of products. There's a myriad of features and benefits attached to each product. You got to be able to manage your time, your territory, your industry, understand the application of it, the services you deliver. But I believe sales can be really, really simple. I believe number one, you got to be sincere and you can't be fake and be who you are. People read through fakes. So you have to be sincere and you can't try to be something that you're not. Number two, find problems to solve. And you're not trying to sell product. You're trying to find problems. And then once you find problems that you can solve, be confident in your price to solve those problems. And I believe you can really, you break sales down into those three buckets and uh, you have a lot to chew on there. I've heard you talk a little bit on some other podcasts about social media and, and how kind of your thoughts on social media changed at one point. And you told a story about uh, your family uh, it, it involved John Calipari and the Today Show. Um, but maybe you have other stories as well. But can you tell us, you know, what role you think social media plays for businesses and also individual salespeople? Yeah, I think social media, if you, and I don't think you have to be very uh, complex in your thinking. Uh, I, I believe you can be very, very, very simple with social media. I call it more of a grassroots campaign. I post multiple times a week to LinkedIn and Facebook, just merely sharing where I'm at, what am I doing, who am I with, uh, tips I may have learned today. I throw all my columns out on social media. And I do that to to maintain a brand of who I am and what I do, not only for cornerstone building brands, but just in general. And I believe everybody in your network needs to know what it is you do and who you do it for. And not one post a month, man, but two or three a week. You got to be very patient because it takes a while for that to build. Uh, so don't do it for a couple of weeks and think, well, I ain't getting anywhere. You got to continue to do it. And, uh, you know, I've had in-home salespeople. It'll tell me uh, to get more leads. They'll, they'll ask a homeowner, are you happy with this project? Well, yeah, we are. Well, let me ask you, ma'am, do you have a Facebook account? Well, well, yes, I do. Would you mind going on your Facebook account, making a post about the work we did and how satisfied you are and tag me in it? Oh, honey, I'd be happy to do that. Now everybody in your network sees it. And it's that continuation of, you know, this must be a good guy. And other the people have used him. There's also a guy named, Eric Gibson, he's in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, Squirrels with a Z, Home Improvement is his company name. Mm. And this cat gets like 30 to 50 leads a month on Facebook. Uh, not during the winter, but spring, summer, and fall, uh, based on his uh, his Facebook posts. Now, he's, he's humorous, he's consistent, but he does things like before and after videos. He'll, he'll walk a job site and explain to his customer, his, his viewership, you know, what he's going to do on this house. He actually took a he took a, a video at uh, one of the supply houses that he buys at one time, and said, "So if I'm buying this product to install on your house, this is the guy that loads it up in the truck. This is the guy to be delivering it." So he does all kinds of different stuff, but he's very consistent in it. He's very patient in it. He's a little humorous. Doesn't take himself too seriously, but uh, he do, he does a really really good job with it. I am going to check that out. I do not know him, despite the fact I'm about twenty miles away from him. So <laughs> uh, I need to check that out. So 
I have no doubt, you know, over your years, you've collected some pretty good, you know, boots on the ground sales stories. Um, uh, maybe people you've coached to better performance or people you've learned from. Um, perhaps a story or two you can share with us. Yeah, sure. I'll tell you the first one. Uh, you know, when you work in a corporate role, especially in distribution, they want you to go around the country and spend time with a salesperson. It's usually not for the right reasons. It's usually because somebody's struggling, needs some help, yeah. that sort of thing. I was able to encourage uh, leadership at the time that, hey, let's look at this a little differently. Why don't I spend a little time going around the country and spending time with our folks that are really good at what they do and have been good for a long time? See if we can't learn some things that they do and add it to our communication to, to folks that are struggling. So one of those visits was down in Charlotte, North Carolina, a gentleman named Austin Crawford. Austin now works with, uh, I believe it's, uh, is it Westlake Building Products? Uh, oh, on the, sure. On the vinyl siding side of the business. And uh, we were going to visit a customer of Austin's. Now, he said this guy bought, bought four by eight sheets of plain white fight pond from us by the pallet. My first thought is this cat can get four by eight sheets of five pound by the pallet. A lot of other places other than us for a lot cheaper. We just weren't set up to do business that way. So I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. I'm going to keep my eyes open. So we go visit this guy. They're not there. They're at lunch. But what he was doing is he was buying this five pond in four by eight sheets. He would cut it up. And he was basically creating a very early rendition of a virtually maintenance-free colony. He was wrapping wood columns, and he was selling them to builders in his area. So we looked at the guy's operation a little bit, and they're not there. So me and Austin get in the car, and we're driving to lunch. And I asked him, I said, Austin, it's been bugging me since we left the branch, man. I said, this guy could buy five pond two or three other places by the pallet for probably a buck, a buck 25, a sheet cheaper than we could sell it to him. Why in the world is he buying it from you? Austin said, I asked myself that, that same question before I ever went in and talked to the guy because I knew if I couldn't answer that question, it was going to come down to $1.25 a sheet and I was never going to get an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Austin said, so what I did is I told him, I said, look, here's what I'll do. You buy a pallet of five pond for me at X, which is a dollar, dollar twenty-five more than what you're paying now. And I'll come into this market one day a week until you sell through that pallet, selling your columns to builders in this market. Now, that was really the only product that guy was selling in the market. Austin selling roofing, siding, windows, doors, other things. Austin was there anyway. So he continued to go in and help this guy sell his sell his uh, his five pond. Goes to him after he runs through the first pallet. His turns were good. His margins were still good. The guy stayed a customer for three or four years. So he just, and I call that the why me principle. And I think if salespeople mm -hmm. will ask why me before you go in and talk to people, it helps you look at things more strategically and not just transactionally. That would be one. Another one that comes to mind, Champaign, Illinois. I had a sales uh, guy that worked for me that lived in the Decatur area. And we didn't get a lot of business out of Champagne. You know, he said, well, look, there's nobody there. I know everybody in Champagne, everybody there. I know who, what little's there, you know, buys from us, or there's a reason why we don't get the business. And that just didn't make any sense to me. You know, we didn't have a lot of business there. And Champagne's a college town. They have their own public transportation. It's a pretty good sized market. I said, well, why don't you humor me tomorrow? Let's block off your day, move your calendar stuff around. And let's go over there in the morning and just drive around. I call it trolling, going up and down streets very systematically, see if we can see anybody working. He goes, it's going to be a waste of time. I said, well, it might, but it's on me. I'll buy you lunch anyway. 
So we get there, we're riding around. We saw 11 people working before lunch. 11 people, he had no idea who they were when we started the day. And so we get to lunch and he goes, all right, stop. I'm a believer. We don't have to do this anymore. I'll start doing this in this market and some other markets because it really opened his eyes up. You know, you think you've got a pretty good penetration in an area, but there are so many people that buy the products that we sell. We have no idea who they are. And a lot of these folks you're not going to find unless you just happen to ride up on them because they're not advertising anywhere. And you ride up yeah. on them and you'll see them. And so that's, that's two stories that I think, uh, could be useful to salespeople. So, so when you were out doing the trolling, I mean, you're just driving neighborhoods looking for people oh, yeah. who are installing and doing jobs. Yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. I love it. And and I love too what you said. And, and I got to admit, when I'm I, I I'm pretty selfish in this respect. If I have the opportunity to go out and be with a salesperson, I want to be with the good guy that I could learn from. <laughs> uh, but but I realize the importance of you got to build into others as well. Well, so. I think we're all going to agree. I mean, this is really construction is a great industry. And um, we do think a lot of our audience members here on the show are folks who are fairly new to design or building or remodeling. Um, and, you know, we really want to inspire them. Any words of advice you have for folks who are fairly new in this industry? Yeah, I wrote a column in Pro Sales Magazine several months ago, and it got some really good feedback from some of the uh, subscribers. And I actually created a uh, training presentation built off of that off of that article. And the article was titled uh, Lessons from the Road, Four Sales Truths Learned on the Front Lines. Well, actually, I think in the magazine, it was four sales truths you won't learn in college. But it, it's, it's morphed into four sales lessons learned from the road. It's just like, hey, just listen to a cat has been doing it a long time. Here are four things that I've learned. Number one, not every buyer appreciates a good value proposition. Some of them don't care. You know, if I can save a buck, I'm saving a buck. But that yeah. should not let the salesperson off the hook for trying to identify, craft, and communicate a better value message. So we should always be looking to craft and communicate a better message. The second truth is time, a lack of time and territory management skills will sink a sales career. We've already spoke about that before, but if you can't get a handle on that, you're going to struggle. And it seems simple, but it's not. You know, a lot of these sales folks, they may have 100, 150, 200 customers that they're supposed to be managing. And you're never going to remember all this stuff unless you have some sort of a system you can put everybody into mm -hmm. and be able to create weekly plans so you're seeing who you should be seeing so things don't fall through the crack. The third sales truth is focus, effort, and attitude will take you a long way and not only this business, but in life in general, folks being able to focus on what's important, uh, being have, having the correct attitude that when things go wrong, that you just don't, you know, sink into a great depression. But you you focus on what you can change and change what you can. And then the fourth truth that I really like is every month starts at zero. So no matter yeah. how good last month was or how bad last month was, I either have a chance to make up for it or a chance to try to build on it. And, and part of that last truth, though, it comes from a story. I was uh, at one time when I worked for a company that was owned by Owens Corning. And our business unit was a pretty small part of that. But, man, they had a pretty all-encompassing training and onboarding program. So they, they find these 10, 12, 14 college kids, hire them, 
they all come into Toledo for 12, 13 weeks. They put them up in these little apartments. It's almost like college life for these, these folks still, you know. And so they go through a 12 or 13 week training program. One day I happened to be there and the person putting on the program said, hey, Brian, you want to come down since you're in town and just listen to our day today? I said, sure, I'll come down. So I sat through the session. They were doing time and, te- time and territory management. And it was all about maximize your time, make more calls, work, 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 dig, dig, dig. And so at the very end, she asked me, she said, well, Brian, you've been doing this a while. Any, any pieces of advice? for our young salespeople here. I said, yeah, I thought to myself, maybe you shouldn't ask me that. You know? <laughs> I, told her, I said, look, yeah, there is, there is. And I said, I'm gonna tell y'all one thing. Y'all talked about maximizing your time. You've talked about working hard. You've talked about selling a lot of product. And I agree with all that. I, I really do. I work hard. I'm all over this country. I don't think anybody works any harder than me. I said, but I'll tell y'all this. For, unfortunately, I've walked through quite a few cemeteries in my time. And when you go through there and you read headstones, you read things like beloved dad, beloved grandpa, beloved grandmother. I ain't ever seen a tombstone that said work real hard and made a lot of money. I just haven't seen it. So I would I would suggest this. If you go home at night and I don't care how much you sell, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how rich you are. If you go home at night and you put your hand on your front door handle, if things aren't right on the other side of that door, they ain't right. And so we need to work to live, not live to work. So although I, I suggest all you cats work hard, take a little time, smell the roses, and work-life balance is incredibly critical. That is some great advice. Man, I, I just want to follow you around and sit in on all of your sales training. <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, this has been a great episode, and and we've covered a lot of ground, and, and you've shared a lot of great stuff. But um, we are getting close to the end of what we call sort of the business end of things. But uh, is there anything we haven't covered today? Well, no, we've covered a lot. Um, but is there anything we haven't covered you'd like to cover? Well, we talked about sales and, um, you know, why we like it. And, and it's been a great it's been a great industry, a great career for me. And really can't see me. Probably the favorite thing I've ever done. It's kind of like my favorite pizza, pepperoni pizza. And sales is kind of <laughs> like that. So I'd say let's let's go ahead and end there. That you know, it, it it really is important to us. We love it. Stick with your favorites. Well, good stuff. Well, so before we close out, in a moment we're going to get your contact information too. But um, I do have to ask if you're willing to participate in something we call our rapid fire questions. So. Rapid Fire consists of seven questions we ask you. Um, Brian has no idea what we might ask him, but some of these may be serious, some may be silly. Uh, all you have to do is give a response to each of them. Um, are you up to the challenge of Rapid Fire? I feel like taking a risk today, Todd, so I'm good with it. Good. <laughs> good deal. Well, Ethan and I will alternate asking questions. Um, Ethan, I'll let you ask the first one. All righty, question one. Let's say you're trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. What is that, or who is that one person that you definitely want to have on your team? That's a really good question. I would say, and I'm not sure of his name, but he is the Navy SEAL Team 6 commander that um, was the uh, commander during the Captain Phillips deal. Well, they all had to. He had to pick the right time to take that shot when both boats were going up and down. That dude had a lot oh, of yeah. had a lot of courage, and I, that's the kind of cat I want in my corner. Once my ankle give up, we had someone once that said their grandmother. Um, so that was a good answer <laughs> too. But <laughs> some great answers. 
Uh, question number two. Um, at the end of your days, what do you want to be remembered for? A good husband, a good dad, um, somebody that left something behind that mattered to people, and somebody that was willing to help people uh, even when it may not have been in their best interest. Good answer. Good stuff. I'm counting these questions, too, so you don't slip another one in on me, by the way, just so you all know. <laughs> okay. We seem to have some technical difficulties, so I'm going to step in with the next question. I'm glad you're keeping track, Brian. Uh, we we might try to sneak an extra one in. You never know. But um have to ask you, okay, this question I like, to. Which do you prefer, the top or bottom half of the bagel? I'm not a big bagel guy. Uh, I can't tell you I've ever ate a bagel, to be quite honest with you. Really? But I, I can I can characterize it. I'll, uh, I'll compare it to muffins. I'm a muffin top guy, so i got to imagine if I'm a muffin <laughs> top guy, I'd probably be a bagel top guy. Gotcha. Probably some similarities there. I think that makes sense. Well, let me ask the next question, then we'll see if we can't get Ethan back. Um, this question we like asking because we're kind of, you know, we kind of try to focus on new stuff and, and big stuff that's happening uh, in the industry and in our lives. But can you think of a product or service that you have purchased, you know, maybe in recent memory that was a real game changer for you? Sort of a where have you been all my life type product? Uh, I can't because I haven't purchased it yet, but I've I've seen something here in the last couple of months that I think would be a really a really good tool uh, for me. I, I got to imagine for other people as well. Uh, we talked about time and territory management, you know, and that breaks down into a calendar task list and uh, and your uh, uh, your your calendar and I'm and your notes. I'm sorry. And I'm very I'm I'm an Outlook guy for my calendar and my task list, but I'm still old fashioned with notes. I want to put pen to paper. And I came across mm -hmm. a product called Rocket Book. And it's a uh, paper notebook with reusable pages, a special ink pen that you can erase off of it, and QR code at the bottom. So you make whatever note you want, you scan that code, and that your notes, your actual notes, show up as a PDF in your phone. And I wanted to try that because uh, I think it'd be kind of cool. The only, the, my only hesitation is I'm left-handed, and left-handed people, and they, uh, if you're in your audience, left-handed, they don't agree to say. We tend to smudge ink as we write. We go right across with our palm, what we just wrote. And a lady let me try her, her rocket book, and I smudged the ink a little bit. So if I could find a fine-tooth rocket book pen, I'd be a locked and loaded cat. But that seems like a really cool tool. They are pretty neat. I've got one, and, and I'm right-handed, so I don't fight that issue. But, uh, uh, yeah, it is very useful. And I found it really helpful for, you know, if I have to draw a drawing, maybe a detailed drawing or something, um, it just works really well for that. And you immediately get a PDF you can send to somebody. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. All right, next question. I guess last one, you know, we were kind of going breakfast food with uh, bagels and all that, Pop-Tarts and all that. But here's another food question. Um, what's your favorite meal? It's changed over the last couple of years. I'm a, I'm a real big uh, uh, a grilled fresh fish guy right now. So I would have told you pizza a couple of years ago, but now I'm probably going to have to tell you. Uh, down in Panama City Beach at Schooners, their uh, grilled or blackened grouper tacos. If you ever Ooh. get a chance, dude, and you go down to Schooners, you need to try them blackened grouper tacos. You don't get any better grouper than you do uh, down in Florida. Sounds great. Yeah. Amen. Good stuff. 
And occasionally, if you can get your group of taco, put a pepperoni or two in it, it helps to add a little flavor to it. <laughs> hey, that'll add flavor. That fl- pepperoni will add flavor to anything. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, next to last question. Um, what is a book you have read that had a significant impact on you? I like. I really like the book by Chris Voss, B-O-S-S, Never Split the Difference. If you haven't read it, I would highly encourage you to get it. Uh, he was a hostage negotiator for the FBI, and actually the lead hostage negotiator for the FBI at one time. Once he retired, he asked himself, I wonder if there's any correlation to writing, to negotiating a hostage release and negotiating a business deal. And so there is. So he'll tell a story about a hostage and to keep your hostage negotiation release and then tie it into a business case. And it's a really, really good book. There's a lot of good information to take out of there. I see it on my shelf right there. I probably have 45 little post-it notes sticking out of the top of it because that's how I do my thing. I'll write something down, stick a post-it note, go back and either reread it or build it into a presentation. And it's a really, really good book. I will check that out. Yeah. Thank you. All righty. Last question. Do you have a skill or a hidden talent that people don't know about? And if you do, what is it? <laughs> I don't know if it's either a skill or a talent, but I used to play drums uh, when I was a younger man, and uh, I don't anymore, and not a lot of people know that. I actually thought about buying a drum set during COVID because I wasn't doing anything. We weren't going anywhere. I might as well you know, pick up the, the drums again. But uh, maybe in a little band or two, you know, nothing real serious, but my hair was a lot longer then. But you could tell I wasn't a serious drummer because in college, I needed money to go to Fort Lauderdale on spring break. So I sold my drum set uh, to get the money to go down to Fort Lauderdale. And I haven't picked up, I haven't picked up a drum set since. <laughs> so, you know, I had my, I had my priorities. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were jacked up. I don't know. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, few episodes ago, we, our guest was Jared Ribble, who was a professional drummer for a lot of years, oh, played cool. with a lot of bands and stuff. So cool. good guy. Well, Brian, thank you again. Um, this has been great. And I do encourage folks to check out your articles in Pro Sales and Remodeling Magazines. Um, you always have great stuff. Uh, just the other day, I shared one with our entire sales team. Um, but for folks who may want to get in touch with you, um, how can they most easily do that? Yeah, and I feel really bad now. We've been talking about preparation and planning all morning. And I was going to hold up the piece of paper with the QR code for my LinkedIn and Facebook. And I never printed it off this morning. So, dang, man. <laughs> dang, man. I didn't think about it until about 10 minutes ago when you said that. So, can I act like my camera's broke or something and go off and see me scrambled around? Uh, I say you can go to my website. It's uh, BrianTheSalesGuy.com. I, Brian with an I, TheSalesGuy.com. Email address is BrianTheSalesGuy at gmail.com. And you can look me up on Facebook or LinkedIn. Uh, You may want to put Brian McCauley and Louisville, Kentucky after it. And if I pop up there too, but I'd love to connect with anybody. I I throw all my articles on social media and, you know, what am I doing? Where am I at? So, yeah, I'd love to connect with anybody that wants to connect with me. Good stuff. And we will put your contact information in the show notes as well. So cool. cool. So um, I do have to report uh, we were all successful on our challenge words. Good job, guys. Uh, I had uh, the word football, which I managed to work in. Ethan, you had. I had Pop-Tart, which is a little clumsy, but, you know, I feel like that was the best spot to put it in. So, (laughs) And Brian was our overachiever. he worked his word at a couple times. Your word was? Pepperoni. Good job. Yeah. Hey, fun time, guys. This has been great. Brian, thank you so much for your time. I enjoyed this. 
Hey, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to thank our audience for tuning into this very special episode of Construction Disruption with Brian McCauley, the sales guy. Um, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. We always have great guests. Don't forget to leave a review, please, on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Until um, the next time we're together, keep on disrupting, keep on challenging, uh, looking for better ways of doing things. And don't forget to have a positive impact on everyone you encounter. Make them smile, encourage them. Simple yet powerful things we can all do. So. Um, God bless and take care. This is Isaiah Industries signing off. This podcast is produced by Isaiah Industries, manufacturer of specialty metal roofing and other building products.